All right. I'm an emotional basket case this morning. I'm just warning you. Some of you are saying, Pastor, what's new? You're usually an emotional basket case, but I'm more this morning. Somebody asked me why. Because God's here. And uh, we just had somebody that we got connected to. He's a local neighbor who asked to park a vehicle on this property. He's been doing so for a while now. That's our only connection with him. Um, and uh, we wanted to bless him. We said, sure, you can park it uh, in the evening after work, just as long as you have it out on the weekend, you know, for services. So we just wanted to bless him. That's been our connection with him. Three weeks ago on Easter, he came to church for the first time. Um, last Sunday, uh, he heard about being redeemed. Today, we preached on renewal. And at the end of the service, we gave an opportunity for people to encounter Jesus in a supernatural way. He waited in line patiently. We had many, many people respond to that. He waited in line patiently, and when it was his turn, he took one step and collapsed into my arms, crying so hard he could hardly communicate, and surrendering his life to Jesus. Isn't that awesome? And I'll tell you what, we stood there sobbing together, and, and that man had an encounter with God today. There are some of you here right now that God is pursuing you. He loves you so very much, and, uh, and he, you need a fresh encounter with God, or maybe a first-time encounter with God. And, uh, and that's the good news of the real gospel And we're going to unpackage that for you guys right now. I want you to open up your Bibles to John chapter 3, a very familiar passage of Scripture. We've been talking about Jesus' work on the cross for us, that Jesus took our curse upon himself. And everything that went with that curse, our spiritual death, our bondage, our selfishness, our addiction, our, our idolatry, everything that separated us from God, Jesus took that curse upon himself. And he became king of the cursed. He, he became king of a cursed group of fallen sinners, namely us. Amen? And in taking that crown of thorns representing the curse upon his head, he conquered everything that would separate us from him. And in doing so, he became Lord over it. So Jesus and Jesus only has the power to break the areas of bondage and addiction and cursing and brokenness in our lives. He has the authority to do it. And I want to tell you, he has the authority to do it 24-7, 365. There's never a second that Jesus does not have the power and the authority to interact with us and to absolutely rock us and change us. And he's no respecter of persons, and he loves to do it. In fact, we shared last week, Jesus redeemed us from the slave pit of this world. He bought us out of captivity. And how many of you know, many times before God's getting ready to do something amazing, you got to fight through hell to get to that place. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Has the devil ever beat anybody up in here by suggesting to you that God doesn't care, God doesn't love you, God's not near, God's not engaged, and we talked last week, how in the world could that be true when we see that the Son of God was beaten beyond recognition and the Bible says he paid for you at the price of his blood? 
How in the world can you allow the devil to twist that into a lie that says you're not precious to God? What could God do for an encore? What could God do to demonstrate any greater depth of commitment and sacrifice and love and passion on his part than to shed his own blood and to purchase you, to see you, to look into your eyes and say, I want that guy right there. I want that lady right there. He knew you, the Bible says, from before the foundation of the world. And he bought you out of the slave pit of this world. And he freed you, liberated you, set you free. That's what redemption means. That's good news. But we said last week, it's also good news to know that since the most exorbitant, exorbitant price that could possibly ever be paid was paid for you, that you rightfully belong to Jesus. And I you know, when you're a slave to the devil and your life is all screwed up and you're a mess, you're really excited for somebody else to take control, especially somebody who loves you and who cares about you and who is committed to you, and who will be the greatest father, greatest big brother that you could possibly imagine. God the Father, and Jesus Christ the Son. Y'all know what I'm talking about. So part of being a believer means this. You're not coming into heaven kicking and screaming. In fact, nobody comes into heaven kicking and screaming. I'm going to show you that today. You come into heaven running, saying, thank you, Lord, I belong to you. That's what it means to be a son or a daughter of the Lord. I belong to you. This is exciting. I do it willfully, joyfully, out of the passion of my heart. That's what redemption means. But today we're going to talk about spiritual renewal, or it's the biblical doctrine of regeneration. Remember we said the Lord is all about restoring that which has been broken, defiled, twisted, marred. You know, next week, I want to encourage you to come back. Next week, we're talking about restoration. And if you've had areas of your life where you have been absolutely ripped off, defrauded by the enemy, I want to cast a biblical picture for you next week that that is something that you need to go after and that Jesus is a restorer of all things. Um, And no matter what you've been through, God can restore it. No matter what pain, loss, brokenness, hurt, God is a restorer. And again, he'll do it for you. We're going to talk about that next week, but today, let's get into John chapter 3, a familiar passage, uh, and we're going to begin with verse 1. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader, who the Bible says was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replies, and I want you to notice here, his reply does not follow anything that we've just read. He's kind of like asking a politician a question, all right? You ever see that? They don't ever give the answer. They just give the most important thing they want to say. Jesus is not a crooked politician, but he is going to the most important thing right here. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man, referring to himself, go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. 
How are these things possible, Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things. How many of you know we are promised a new life, we're promised a new start, we're promised a new beginning, but it's interesting that Jesus gives us a must. How many of you know when you use the word, well, first of all, you must, it's a precondition, and it's an important precondition. Parents do this all the time. In fact, if you don't, I encourage you to put this in your arsenal of parenting tools. One of my children will come to me and say, Dad, can I go out with so-and-so after church to get coffee? My response, you must first clean thouest room. And, by the way, the bathroom. Oh, and the landing leading to the bathroom. And then when you have met those necessary preconditions, thou mayest go where thou wantest, all right? It's an incredible leverage tool. Because what it says is, for you to have the blessing that's desired, you have to meet the necessary preconditions. Now, how many of you know when Jesus Christ says, you must, we all should sit up. And and what I'm asking you to do this morning is don't check out on me. Oh, pastor's preaching on being born again. Up, oh, check that one off. I got the t-shirt on that. No, 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 you don't. You're not getting it. You're not getting it at all. If God, if God says you must, I'm listening. Because what comes next could really, really matter. In fact, I'm telling you what comes next bears with it the weight of eternity. Now, I have this theory on church in America that the problem is we're so light and fluffy, we've almost become irrelevant. Hmm, should I stay in bed this morning? Should I go play golf? Or should I go listen to a happy, clappy message about what a wonderful person I am? Hmm, I think I'll sleep in. Good choice. Good choice. If that's all you're after, if that's what the gospel has been watered down to be, we're not, we're not doing Jesus or the message a, a good disservice. Or we're doing a great disservice, not a, not a good service, just service. Here's the deal. When God says you must, it means there is a very important precondition that has to be met for us to experience eternal life. Now, I go to lots of funerals, and you would assume from funerals that everybody's going to heaven. But I'm just telling you, everybody at the funeral that dies and everybody that's at the funeral is not all going to heaven because so-and-so was just a good guy. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Jesus said this, and he says it with all the authority of the one who claimed to be God and rose from the dead and conquered death itself. You absolutely must be born again or you'll have no part in my kingdom. That should hit us in the face and wake us up and cause us to be stirred in our spirits because the question every one of us should be asking this morning is, have I experienced that necessary precondition so that I could spend eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ? That's an important question. In fact, I would, I would argue this morning, there's no greater question in the whole universe than that question right there. And there's no greater must. There's no greater must in the whole world than you must be born again. Now, it's funny because I'll have people say to me, oh, are you one of those born-again type Christians. <laughs> what other kind are there? 
when God says, you must be born again, how else are you going to sneak in? I think we better ask the question, what in the world does he mean by being born again? Because if I must be it, I now have my interest peaked. Where can I find out about it? You're in the right place. We're going to talk about it right now. You must be born again. Why is this so important? Drop on down to verse 36. John 3, 36. Jesus speaking, anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. And anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life. Here's the problem. But remains under God's angry judgment. We shared last week, every one of us comes into this world born in sin, conceived in sin, under the judgment of God. It's not that God hates you, it's that God hates sin, and that God cannot tolerate sin. This is why Jesus came. We have to be delivered from that curse. The reason you must be born again is because there is a judgment that is coming. God is coming to judge the world. And I was sharing, you know, it was funny, uh, uh, my little Uriah here, my little grandson, Aaron, Aaron and Lauren's little guy, is just moving out of that stage, you know, when they just kind of lay there and their eyes haven't developed yet and they're just kind of staring around. They just suck on bottles and they just fill diapers. That's all they do in those first, you know, time. And then they start smiling. They see you and they smile. And then what's beautiful is their carnal nature starts to manifest. They don't have to be 18. No, they're not even 18 months. They're hungry and they're screaming their bloody heads off. It's not because they're in agony. Somebody pinched them, stepped on their foot. No, I want a bottle now. (laughs) And as a parent, you can tell whether it's just normal eh, 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 or whether it's get it now. They're already manifesting that. And then if you don't work fast enough, oh, I'm just going to fill a diaper right now, too. <laughs> now you got to feed me and change my diaper. Hurry! I mean, here's my point. <laughs> don't try to pretend like you're good enough with God to somehow slide in. You're not good enough with God. Every one of us is under the curse. Every one of us is selfish to the core. And every one of us needs a Savior. We must be born again, including that cute little grandchild in your family. This is non-negotiable. So let's talk about this. What does it mean to be born again? I'm going to give you five quick things as we work through John chapter 3. Number one, being born again is not a new religion, but a new life. Isn't it interesting that Jesus in this passage is not talking to a prostitute. He's not talking to a tax collector. He's not talking to a criminal or a thief. He's talking to the epitome of the religious establishment. This should hit us strong. Jesus is looking in the face of what that society would consider the best of the best. Pharisee had to know the Bible inside and out, had to memorize the first five books of the Bible, knew all the laws of God so as not to transgress any of the laws of God. And Jesus looks at the epitome of self-righteous, self, of religious people, and says to this person, you must be born again. Now again, this should strike us as odd, because he's saying something radically upsetting. He's basically saying all of your rigorous study of the law, all your self-discipline, all your law-keeping cannot replace your fundamental need to be born again. 
Now, some of you that weren't raised in the church, you always beat yourself up because you say, man, I've had a rough life. You know, could Jesus really forgive me? Do I really fit here? You hear people like you that say things like, if I came to church, the roof would split open, a lightning would come down, we'd all be burned up. You know, hell would freeze over if I ever came to church. Am I talking to the right crowd? Well, I got good news for you. You're a greater candidate to get into the kingdom of God than the person that's been sitting on their tail end in church all their life being religious and thinking everything's okay. In fact, you can't even get in until you recognize how sick and broken you are. This is startling that Jesus would say this to this well-respected Pharisee. He says, I'm not looking for you to be more religious. I'm not looking for you to be more disciplined, more holy. I'm not looking for you to try harder. Can we all just let out a sigh of relief? This is good news. I'm not wanting you, Jesus says, to be religious. I'm wanting you to experience life. This fries our senses. He's wanting to give us life. You know, every birth in the natural brings forth a new life. I'm grateful that when, when Lauren was giving birth, we weren't all waiting with great expectation to see this child, and all of a sudden a little mini Aaron came out with a beard and everything, but he said, hey, hey, I, I was born again. I didn't like my old nose. I got a new one, or, you know, I, I got this thing patched up, or, you know, I had a freckle here that I didn't like, so I got reborn. This is the new me. I mean, everybody would scream and run out of the room. No, that's not what it means. How many of you know God's not interested in trying to renovate you? God's interested in bringing forth a new you. It's still you, but it's a new you. And that's good news. We all need our best version to come forth. Point number two. Being born again is not about admiring Jesus' supernatural ministry, but rather it's about experiencing that ministry personally. How many of you know Nicodemus was impressed with Jesus? He was still scared to be associated with them, but he was impressed. In fact, he was so impressed, he risked what might happen if it was exposed that he was found with Jesus. He, he shows up at night, but here's why he showed up at night. You remember what he said? Um, I've been watching you. Nobody is walking in your authority and power. I've never seen signs and wonders. This is what his conclusion was. God's with you. I mean, you know, that was a good conclusion, but it wasn't good enough to save him. And let me just tell you this. Unsaved people can be very fascinated with the healing ministry of Jesus. And, and please hear me. Are we, are we after a move of God in this place? Are we after healing? Are we after deliverance? The power and the authority of the gospel. Signs and wonders following the preaching of the word. Amen. But let me just tell you something. Jesus even had people that were impressed with his ministry and when he started preaching about the cross and following him, they left him by the droves. I just want to pop some bubbles this morning. Signs and wonders aren't a cure-all for revival in our culture. In fact, sinners can be very fascinated with Jesus. In fact, here's what sinners say. You know that Jesus guy? Hey, he's all right with me. You know, he's cool in my book. We're good. That's not being born again. Even secular people appreciate Jesus' ethical teaching. They're not saved. You can have an appreciation for the miraculous ministry of Jesus and not know him because here's the good news. He wants to miraculously, supernaturally touch you so you personally experience the power of God inside of you. 
He's not looking for admirers. He's not looking for fans. He's not looking for people that give him the thumbs up. He is wanting to so touch us in the new birth that you know who you were and who you are are radically different. And the only thing you can give to explain it is you encountered the Son of God and you are a changed person. Now last Sunday when we were preaching on redemption, I looked in the back and Michael Cade was waving his arms because I knew exactly, all I saw was the arm wave like this. I knew exactly what he was saying. I knew the scoundrel, broken, lost person that I was. I have been redeemed. I am not that guy any longer. I am qualitatively new. I'm not just religious. I didn't just start going to church. I didn't just go through my Bible reading plan. No, I am qualitatively new. That old guy is dead. I am somebody who encountered the living God, the supernatural encounter with Jesus and I'm different I gotta ask you and I'm just asking because you must be born again have you had a supernatural life-changing encounter personally with Jesus that has left you changed from the inside out and you are markedly different in every way from who you used to be. Have you had that supernatural experience? The good news is you can. The bad news is if you don't, you got a cheap counterfeit, and I'm telling you, you must be born again. Feel the weight of this. This is one we don't want to be wrong on. You must be born again. You must have an experience with the Son of God. Look at verse 6. Humans cannot, or I'm sorry, humans can reproduce only human life. But the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. You'll never have spiritual life apart from a supernatural Holy Spirit touch inside of you. Only the Spirit can bring forth spirit. Only humans can bring forth natural life. You will always be natural until the Holy Spirit touches you and awakens something supernatural. Does this make sense? You can't make this happen by yourself. Now, I just got to share something with you. Being a youth pastor for well over a decade, I ran into a lot of young people that had this kind of attitude. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. You know, pastor, some of them would say this to me. They were so bold as to say this. You know, pastor... I really believe in everything that you're saying. But I just want to live my life. I want to sow my wild oats. I want to have fun. That's what they thought. I want want to have fun. And then when I get to be a dinosaur like you, they wouldn't say that, but uh, I know that's what they were thinking. Um, Then I will decide, I'll make a decision to give my life to Christ. Now, let me just tell you, this is a massive deception from the devil and let me tell you why if we could turn off don't do it but if we could turn off every single light in this room and we sat for a moment in complete darkness that would be a physical picture of how we were spiritually i mean you know we're, we're cut off from god the bible says we're spiritually dead we're blinded by our own sin to even see the beauty of the glory of, of jesus christ and 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 this is this is what we teach our, our in our churches unfortunately this is why young people believe that kind of nonsense Imagine if you could just, whenever you decided, I think now, 
I think now I'll get born again. And I'll go back and I'll flip the switch on and the lights will come on in this room. Here's a question I want to ask you. Do you think that the whole supernatural act of being born again is absolutely in the power of fallen sinners to magically flip a switch on whenever you decide you don't want to live for yourself any longer, whenever you decide you want to stop being a rebel, whenever you decide you want to stop being spiritually dead, whenever you decide you want to stop being spiritually blind, that as an act of your will or filling out a decision card or whatever you do, praying the magic prayer, you're going to flip the switch on and go from darkness to light just because you were ready? Really? So the creator of the universe is, is sitting in his study, yawning and, and waiting for you to stop having a temper tantrum so you can magically say a prayer and he comes running to your side to rescue you? Is that really your, your understanding of salvation? Let me tell you what's wrong with that. There's nothing supernatural. There's no move of God. There's no sovereign act of the Holy Spirit. There's no brokenness over sin. You still have the arrogance and pride to think you're in control of your destiny. And you're the captain of your ship. And you'll ride off into the sunset till you're ready. And then you'll flip the magic salvation switch. That is a lie from the pit of hell. It takes the Holy Spirit to cause supernatural birth. And unfortunately, he's not your bellhop waiting for you to decide when you're ready. In fact, if he's not blowing in your life, you have no hope of ever giving your life to Jesus. God saves people. People don't save people. God saves people. And he's supernatural. You have got to experience him. Look at John 6, 63. The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. Say it again. Human effort accomplishes God alone gives eternal life. We need the Lord to be born again. We need an encounter with God to be born again. Point number three, quickly. We're not talking about an affirmation, meaning we just believe the right things or say the right things, although we do need to believe the right things, and we do need to confess with our mouths. I'm not... I'm not wiping that out. But being born again is primarily a union with Jesus Christ. What do I mean by that? It means that the way we experience life is by being united with the author of life, Jesus. There is no eternal life apart from Jesus. And here's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit's the matchmaker. The Holy Spirit brings us into connection with Christ. He's the vine. We're the branches. He brings us to him. How many of you know, and I'm, I'm challenging some of you, some of you might have prayed a prayer. You might have been to the altar. You might have filled out the decision card. You might have been little. You were baptized, whatever. But how many of you know that was a great beginning? But salvation is not an affirmation. It's an encounter with God that leads to a lifelong relationship with him. John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that you might know him, Jesus Christ. That's eternal life. God is about a relationship with us. He's not looking to see if we've got our memory verses down pat and we can say the Romans road. That's not what saves you. He saves you. And he does it through the word and he does it through his spirit. But it's a vital union with Christ. Our job is to 
embrace him. Our job is to have faith in him. His job is to convict our hearts, to tear the blinders off of our eyes, to allow us to see Jesus as he really is. And then everything changes. Look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 and 12. It says, and this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life. Where is this life? This life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son, Jesus, has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. Now, i got to tell you, I was ministering this verse to a neighbor of mine years ago when we lived in central Indiana before we came and joined uh, my mom and dad here. And I had been witnessing to this neighbor many, many times. They knew who we were. They knew we loved the Lord. But when this man's mother uh, got deathly ill, he came running over. How many of you know people in desperate times need answers? Amen? And he said, would you go and minister to my mom? She's deathly ill. I said, sure, it'd be, it'd be an honor. Went up to the hospital. Well, I didn't know deathly ill meant she's in a coma. She's, got, she's laying there. She ain't moving. Her mouth's open. She's got tubes everywhere. Her eyes are shut. She's in a coma. And I had heard people say before that when someone's in a coma, they can, their spirit's still alive. They can still hear what's going on even though they can't respond. So you know what I decided? I'm going to preach my best gospel message to this lady laying here in a coma. It's not the first time I've preached to an unresponsive crowd. <laughs> now, I'm not talking about y'all. Don't take it personal. I'm just saying. So I start reading that verse right there. And I said, ma'am, I want you to know that you know that you know that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you're ready to go. And I kid you not, her head snapped, looked at me, her eyes shot wide open, and a voice that wasn't a sweet little old lady started talking to me and said, how can anybody know? And then her head flipped back, her eyes shut, and she laid there in a coma. The hair on the back of my neck stood up. And then I got mad. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I said, wait a minute. That wasn't a sweet little old lady. That was a demonic spirit. Mocking, questioning. I opened up to that passage. I preached the best. I had a sense of righteous anger inside of me. You know what I'm talking about? This lady's laying, hanging between heaven and hell. This demon's trying to mock and, and, and I'm preaching the most powerful message on the planet, the only hope this woman has. And man, I went for it. I said, I don't know if you can hear me, but devil, you shut up. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to this lady. And I preached the gospel. I said, if you can hear me, I want you to reach out in your heart of hearts and embrace Christ Jesus as Savior and Lord right now. And I'm going to pray with you. I have no idea where that woman's soul is. Only God does. But I, I'm praying that someday this lady is going to come running up to me. Do you remember me? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hallelujah. And she, she will have gotten her voice back, if you know what I mean. All right. Two more points, and then we're going to pray. Point number four. Born again is not by renovating the old us, but by, by creating a new creation. How many of you know when you have someone whom you love that dies and you take them to the funeral parlor, the mortician's job is really to do the impossible. It's to try to make a dead person look as alive as possible. How many of you know that that's an impossible job? And what do we do? We all walk up there and we say things like, well, you know, she looks pretty good. He, he looks pretty good. What just happened? We just took a corpse and 
plastered it with makeup. I got good news for you. Being born again is God not taking a corpse and putting makeup on you. That's the good news. He's not resurrecting that old you. He's creating a whole new you. And some people do this, you know, religious people do this. It's like putting high heels and lipstick and earrings on a pig. How many of you know you can dress up a pig, but at the end of the day, it's still a pig. You can put lipstick on that pig. It's still a pig. I got news for you. There are religious people all over America that are pigs with lipstick on, if you know what I mean. The real them has never been transformed. All they did was whitewash their nasty religious self. They put the lipstick on, they put the high heels on. But here's the good news. God is after a fundamental transformation of your character from the inside out. He is not wanting to dress you up and make you momentarily look pretty. When everybody who lives with us right knows that we ain't that pretty. Because the old nature still is there. God doesn't renovate the old. He brings about a new creation. Look at verse 5, John chapter 3, verse 5. Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Now what's cool here is Nicodemus' theologically trained mind would hear those words, water and spirit. His mind would go back to the prophet Ezekiel in verse 30, or chapter 36 of Ezekiel. And look at verse 25. This is, this is what we're talking about, being born of water. This is the promise God gave under the old covenant. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. Can anybody say amen? God says, first thing I will do when you're born again, the new you will be the result of having washed all the filth away. There are some of you here this morning that know exactly what I'm talking about. You're trapped in a lifestyle of compromise or conviction or addiction or whatever, brokenness. Uh, we, we prayed for a man this morning who, who I've been dealing with his marriage and situation. This man has been absolutely whitewashed in religion. He was raised in religion, but he has never had the core of who he is transformed by the power of God. He has never been washed from the filth. And how many of you know you can't live for Jesus? You can't spend time in the presence of God when we're covered in filth. We need a bath. The first thing is to give the pig a bath. Hallelujah. The second thing, though, it's better because you can wash a pig and it goes back and it rolls in the mud over and over and over again. The good news is God doesn't stop there. He's going to wash our filth. But let me go to point number five and we're going to end here. He says, look, being born again is not having a heart of stone, but having a living, responsive heart. The promise in Ezekiel 36 goes deeper. Look at verse 26. God says, first of all, I'm going to wash your filth. That's, that's good. Praise God. But look what he does to our nature. I will give you a new heart. Hallelujah. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. This is not God doing a quadruple bypass. How I many you know humans do those things? You take out a broken heart, you do all the fixing of the veins and everything, you clear all the arteries, and you put it back in, and you hope to get another 10 years out of it. God does not do that to your heart. 
God gives you a heart transplant. And this is what I'm asking you today, and I want you to be real with yourself. Remember, eternity is in the balance today. Has there been a time in your life when you knew that you were once this way, stony heart, hard heart, rebellious heart? What are you talking about, Pastor? Well, let me get right down into our world since this is where we, what we deal with every week. How about our marriages? Are you still this stubborn, angry, hard-hearted husband who chews your wife out, who treats her like garbage, and who can walk away from an encounter where you've just yelled and screamed and treated her as a worthless thing, and you can walk away, and you don't even feel any remorse about it. In fact, you're convinced she's the problem. Let me tell you something. you got to be born again. That's not how Jesus acts. That's not the heart that God wants to give you in the Holy Ghost. We got men in churches, praise the Lord, hallelujah, writing tithe checks, whatever. God's not impressed. You continue to berate, be angry, abuse people, and walk around like it's no big deal. But you say you're united with Christ and you have a new heart. You are living in deception. You leave a a wake of of disease and brokenness in your path. And yet you think, I'm cool with God. You're deceived. You're deceived. Christ comes in and makes a man new. Not perfect, but let me give you an example. So when you blow it and you're angry and you storm out of the room, this is what a saved man happens in his heart. God speaks to you. And that tender, responsive heart starts to be broken and God says, you don't talk to my daughter that way. And what happens You're tender, and you realize, you know what? I'm the problem, not her problem. I got some problems, and I need to get me changed. And listen, you're only going to get you changed if you have a supernatural, life-changing encounter with God that changed your nature so you don't act like the scoundrel that you once were. And I'm not picking on you. I am the same scoundrel preaching the good news of the gospel this morning. And I'm the same scoundrel that has to deal with the old Ron that wants to creep up in my heart. But I'm telling you this. I was praying with a guy here this morning who, again, is so trapped and so, so under the religious veneer, and he's ruined his marriage, and he's ruined his family, and he's devastated his kids, and he's been religious. And he said, Pastor, I don't know how to do this. I said, let me tell you how to do this. Get in a room somewhere and don't come out until you know you've had an encounter with the living God. And if you have to stay there for a week, stay there for a week. How desperate are you to know God? How desperate are you to be changed? How sick of your old life, your old thoughts, your old ways? How sick of the addictions? that have robbed you of so much of your life. That is not the new life Christ offers in a supernatural encounter with God. He changes us. He breaks our heart. We weep over what he weeps over. We stop blaming everybody else for the train wreck of our lives, and we start saying, God, I need help. You know what? You cannot... You cannot flip the switch on and experience God that way, but you can get on your face, you can cry out for mercy, and you can wait until you know you've had an encounter with God. And I'll just say this. The Bible says this. 
The Holy Spirit's like the wind. You don't know where the wind comes from, and you can't control it, but you can sure see the, the, the wind blowing. You can see the effects of the wind. I prayed for a man last week. He was here at first service. They live in Orland Park. He's looking to get married. The reason they came in, they wanted a wedding, and they wanted it quick. Well, this is what I said to him. I said, look, you don't even know what you're talking about. You're, gonna, you're taking on a responsibility that's serious. Do you know what it is to be a husband? Do you know what it is to be a dad? Do you know what it is to be a man of God? You can't even have a great marriage. You can't love this woman the way you're called to until you've had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I said, I would love to talk with you about that. I would love to explore the journey. Where are you at in your journey with God? Now, let me tell you why I knew God was moving. Because a normal sinner would say, that guy's nuts. Let's go down to the justice of peace. Let's find somebody that will marry us. I don't want to listen to that. Now, again, I was my kind, charming self, but you understand, we, were, we also shared the truth. He said, can I, meet, can I come back and meet with you? I said, oh, I sense the, I sense the wind is blowing. Because listen, sinners pursue God in the same way that criminals pursue police officers. It always cracks me up when I hear somebody who could care less about Jesus saying, you know, I'm open, you know, I'm seeking. No, you're not. You're running from Jesus as fast as you can because you know you're a rebel and you know you're going to have to face him someday and you're running like crazy. There's no God seekers out there unless the Holy Spirit's blowing. So you know what? He came back the next week. We prayed. He gave his life to Jesus. At the end of this service, he brought his little girlfriend up here, and he's just saying, I just, I want more. You know, you're standing there looking at me like this. I'm like, I'm like, how can I pray for you? All he knew was he came up, and you know why he came up? He's hungry. He's hungry. It's amazing to me that people that are far from God, you can bring them to a spiritual smorgasbord and you got to drag them. They're starving. I'm starving. You drag them and say, eat. It's not what I want. And they leave, they leave the same way they came. It doesn't make any sense. But when the Spirit of God is moving, people are desperate for God. People are broken. People have an awareness of their sin. When my neighbor comes running up and can hardly stand because he is so undone by God. I know something supernatural is happening. And I get to be a part of it. Do you know that when God's blowing through a nation, people are running to get right with him. It's not because they all of a sudden had an epiphany. It's because the weight of God's presence is so real that they want God. They're hungry for God. That's what I said. Nobody gets to heaven dragging their feet, screaming. To the contrary, the wind of the Holy Spirit is at your back blowing us into the kingdom of God. I believe the wind is blowing in some of your lives right now. I talked to some of you before. I'm telling you, God has a supernatural encounter with him awaiting for those who feel the breeze and respond to the wind of God 
and say, I need more. I don't want to live this way. I, I, I talked with a father this morning with a son. I, 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 need, I need more. i got to break out of where I've been. Yes, you do. You're a father. There's a son looking at you. This is generational stuff we're talking about. Some of you, your marriages have been separated or broken. But listen, there's, God is a restorer. We're going to talk about this next week. What could happen in your life? If there was a defining moment when the old Jew was absolutely destroyed and God resurrected somebody that looks totally different and has a brand new heart. Someone that acts like Jesus. I'm preaching to a lot of religious people this morning, church folk. And I'm I'm really pushing the button this morning on you. How alive is Jesus in your heart? Or are you just religious? How long have things been going on to bring destruction? How long have things kept you in bondage? How long? How many relationships have to suffer? But you just come to church every week. Just come to church every week. We need more. We need an awakening. We need an encounter with God. We need to be different. I ask you another question. Why is it in America that so many people claim to love Jesus, but there is no difference in the way they spend their time and the things that they love. There's no difference in what they find entertaining, the music they listen to, the movies they take in. There's no difference. Are you different? Can, can, you, can someone point to you and say, I knew you before Jesus, and I know you now. What happened to you? Or are you just religious? You must be born again. You must be born again. Only Jesus can do it. And I believe there's people here this morning that don't know the Lord. You've been far from God. Listen, God wants to rock you today. In fact, I'm just going to ask you, does anybody feel the wind blowing inside of them? You know what I'm talking about? In other words, there's something stirring in you. That's not indigestion, all right? There's something stirring in you. What is that? It's the Lord. He's crazy about you. He loves you. He wants you to be the you he saw from before the foundation of the world, before you were born. That's the real you. That's why I keep saying, you know, if we keep in this together, we're going to be so awesome by the time the Lord comes. I don't mean like I'm awesome. I'm, we're going to be awesome together. We're going to really look and act like Jesus. Be like, wow, I like to hang out with you. You look and act like Jesus. And hope you like to hang out with me. Come on. We all get together and hang out. This is great. We go love the world. We care about the world. Our heart's broken with the things that breaks Jesus' heart. I want you to stand to your feet. I want our worship team, if they're still present. I didn't say this beforehand. I'm going on the flow here, but I always love to worship our way out, and uh, if Sarah and gang are here, I can even hardly sing uh, what a beautiful name of Jesus, because I just cried through the whole song, but I'd like to actually sing and and honor him, but I want to take a moment here, and I just want you to bow your head, and I want you to, to get in touch with what God's doing inside of you. Maybe you just need more. I'm not questioning everybody's salvation this morning. Please don't hear that. But I am just challenging us to get a fresh, supernatural encounter with Jesus. It's alive and vibrant. I'm also not one to beat anybody up this morning, but you know what? Sometimes we have to say enough is enough. 
with the things that are destroying our lives and our loved ones and people around us. Enough is enough. And we need to let the Christ life come forth in us with greater authority and power. And some of you here this morning might not know the Lord. And I want to have our elders and our pastors come up here and join me. We just want to pray for you personally. We had about four or five people first service and they gave their lives to Christ. It was awesome. I, I believe that in the size of the crowd that's here right now that there are, are many, many that have never really been born again and, and you want more. You just, you just want to encounter God. You want change in your life. And I want us just to sing about the greatness of the person of Jesus and as we do, if that's you, I want you to slip out of your seat right now. If, you, if you've never been born again, but you want to be, I want you just to come down and let one of us agree with you and pray for you. Give your life to Christ today. Let's sing and celebrate Jesus. Some of you maybe need to come and deal with some brokenness and selfishness or areas, strongholds in your life and allow Christ to drive that out, break the chains, set you free, make you a new person. So let's worship and sing on our way out this morning. Come on up if you need some prayer.